Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. And oftentimes people feel, people feel compelled to take action and they think that any action is better than no action. But that's not true. The more experience you have, the more you're going to realize that taking good action and making good trades is better than making an okay trade or a 50-50 trade. This is the How to Trade Stocks Options Podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special lesson for you. I'm putting it here on the podcast because I really believe that this is going to provide you massive, massive value. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest, David Jaffe. Now, David, he owns beststockstrategy.com and also the YouTube channel, Best Stock Strategy. And also, he's a very busy guy. He has the Wealth and Health podcast, which you can find on all the podcast platforms. So once you're done with this, make sure you head on over there and check out David. David, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. You know, I I got to say, uh, when your team reached out to, to my team and I was like, David Jaffe, that name rings a bell. And then I looked you up on YouTube. I was like, I know this guy back when I first started trading. Uh, I don't know how I came across Best Stock Strategy on YouTube, but I probably watched 50 to 60 of your videos and I was like, okay, I get it. I understand uh, how this guy trades. So uh, tell us about uh, tell us about you and, and tell us about the Best Stock Strategy. So basically I graduated from Cornell and then I went into investment banking, which I thought was something that I wanted to do, but then a lot of the junior bankers are mistreated. And when you're stuck in that environment, it's you realize that it's not worth your health. It's not worth being mistreated. So I transitioned out of that. And during the time, I was always interested in trading the markets. And from about 2010 onwards, I started dabbling in many different fields because I wanted to get very serious in trading besides just simply buy and hold or potentially just buying and selling some cover calls. And then it dawned on me that by trading options and specifically selling options, you allow yourself to have more control. So I moved down to Miami from New York City in 2017. 
and I had a very good year trading in 2017, but I got extremely bored because I was only making about two or three trades a week. And I was walking around the building and trying to find things to do and I felt unfulfilled. So my wife told me that I should start teaching people how to trade. So then I just started putting out YouTube videos and built a, you know, a website and then things just took off from there. Gotcha. So when you were in that investment banking field, what was that like? Was it, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had friends in that field and, and they talked about, you know, sleeping under their desk, the, the 96 hour days. And, uh, you know, you, it, it's a very fast way to burn out. Is that the experience you had? Yeah, it totally is. I guess it depends upon what group you're in. I was in the industrial growth and services group at CIBC World Markets. And then I worked at a company called Petsky Premier, which is an M&A boutique. At CIBC, different groups had different lifestyles and different cultures. It's not necessarily the hours that are the worst. It's the stress that they put on you. So knowing that you're not going to be able to sleep or you go to sleep at three o'clock in the morning, but then you have to be at work the next day at nine. And when you go to sleep at three, you can't even get restorative sleep because you're so stressed out and agitated from a director that mistreats you or just being scared of tomorrow also staying there until three or four o'clock in the morning and having that sleep deprivation. And all the while, your bosses are telling you how lucky and fortunate you are to have that job because a thousand people would love to have that opportunity. But in a way, I felt it was like brainwashing because if those thousand people were actually placed in the same environment as you were, then virtually none of them would actually tolerate that because they care about themselves and their own health, as opposed to just sacrificing their entire future and their health for, uh, for a paycheck. You know, that reminds me of a uh, Stockholm syndrome, right? You, yeah. uh, you've, you've, you've kidnapped somebody and you tell them how great it is that they've been kidnapped and really brainwashed. And that, that sounds exactly like that. Yeah. And it is true what you said about sleeping like under your desk. I, I would never sleep under the desk, but um, during the day I used to go into the bathroom and I would, if I was so tired, I would sometimes take like 20 to 30 minute cat naps in the, in the bathroom stall. And a funny thing is I remember a few times where my leg fell asleep and it's so painful when you're, when you wake up and then you almost like fall on the ground because you're, there's a lack of blood, blood flow that went to your legs. But I, I might, if I had to do it over, I don't think I would do it again because right now there are more opportunities than there were back in like the mid two thousands. But I think that everyone has their own path and, everyone learns from their experiences. So I don't necessarily regret it. Yeah. So now you've left investment banking and you're in Miami. What, what did you learn that translated from the investment banking sphere into the best stock strategy? Like, was there a corollary there or was there just like, Hey, you know what? This is a really good strategy I picked up along the way, but did, or did they actually like teach you this while you were there? No, they didn't teach me that. I think the, the thing that I really learned was that investment bankers or the people that many, the, the people who like investment bankers often have this cachet where like people at Goldman or Blackstone or BlackRock, many outsiders, they feel like, like they're pulling all the strings and that they're like, like running the world. 
Um, but from my dealings with them and doing numerous deals with all of them, I can tell you that that bankers are just like ordinary people. So when I see others who are pitching like like all these different like secret knowledge, like, oh, follow me because I have this secret knowledge that you don't have. And by paying me X amount, I'll impart you with this knowledge. I think that by being an insider, I realize that there is no secret knowledge. If you want to be consistently profitable, you have to make sure that you are patient, that you are disciplined, and that especially if you're selling option premium, that you mitigate the tail risk because you can win anywhere from 95 to 98% of your trades and you can still actually lose money because those two to 5% of the trades that go against you could be outlier losses. So I really think the only thing that I took from investment banking was the confidence that I can compete at the highest level. And additionally, the, the knowledge that a lot of other people try to sell to the retail trader, I could just immediately disregard that and say, yeah, okay, that's all BS. No, that was uh, the situation I was in a few years ago. I, I felt like I had nailed everything down. And at the end of the year, I looked at my portfolio and I had like an 80 something percent win rate, but I was down on the year. And I was like, how does that even compute? But it was, you know, the 20% of the time I lost, I lost so much more than on the 80% of the time I won. And you talk about selling option premium. I'm a big advocate of that. Um, in a nutshell, I, I really advocate selling uh, put spreads behind moving averages, whether it's like a 20 day, 10 day, something like that. And I, I, in a nutshell, that's that's my strategy. But there are times when you know you could sell it and it immediately turns around. And if you're not agile, if you're not paying attention, uh, it can turn into a, a, a full loser very quickly. What do you do differently? that makes your 98% win rate not turn into a unprofitable situation, right? Because anybody could sell five Delta calls or five Delta puts, right? Or even both, you know, every day of the week, and it's going to have a 98% win rate. Um, but then there's the outlier event that could move against you. How do you, how do you account for that? So I think there, there are two main things. One, I have a small watch list with about 13 or 14 underlines, and I don't really trade anything else. Then I will look to make sure that each individual stock that's on the watch list is either at oversold or overbought conditions. So sometimes I do try to be like delta neutral or even right now where I feel like the stock market is overbought, I'll try to have some negative delta on in order to, uh, new, to neutralize a pullback. But by looking at those like 13 to 14 stocks on my watch list, I will get very comfortable with the recent trading range. And then if something pulls back, like let's say Tesla, where it's 52 week high is at 900 and currently is trading at about 650, then I will usually look at and wait for it to fall at the low end of its trading range. And then I will sell a put option that's about 10 to 15% below. And by doing that, by waiting for something that you perceive to be oversold, that individual underlying has higher implied volatility, right? And you're also more likely to collect significantly more premium and not have the underlying stock challenge your short put because the stock is already at the low end of its recent trading range. And that also holds true for the call side. If you look at something like NVIDIA, where 
recently over the past two weeks, it sold off. But prior to that, it had it rocketed up and was trading over its 52 week high. In that situation, I sold something where I was selling 1100 calls and I was picking up a decent amount of premium. And that 1100 call didn't even get challenged. So by fading the move on the upside and the downside, and recognizing that this individual underlying is probably oversold or overbought, it gives you an added safety net. Another thing that I do in order to mitigate some risk is that during times when there is a low VIX, which I guess I would define as having the VIX below 20, during that time, I try to sell vertical credit spreads. And the reason is because the biggest enemy when the VIX is low is going to be a large volatility expansion event. And this has played out throughout the course uh, when you look at large pullbacks. When you look at March 2020, in January and February of 2020, long equity holders were making significantly more money than option sellers. And to me, this is a red flag. You had a low VIX at about 12 or 13. So by selling spreads, you would have been able to protect yourself against a huge volatility expansion event. Something comparable happened in January of 2018, where I think it was around February 5th, which was maybe like a Friday, and then February 8th, which was a Monday, where volatility expanded from about 12 or 13, all the way, I think, above 50. And during that, that time period, then the same thing happened, where there was a lot of euphoria in the marketplace, and VIX was... Uh, VIX was trading very low, and during those low volatility environments, you have to be patient. So, do you feel that that is the best stock strategy, or is there more to it? I think that there's there's a lot of nuance. Um, where, like even today, so today I believe is July 16th, and Amazon at one point was down around fifty-seven dollars. So in the morning, I was thinking about, okay, I know that Amazon. It's, relative, it's trading relatively close to its recent high, which I think was about like 37, 37.70, like something like that. Um, but I figured, okay, I'm going to wait until later on in the day and let the trade come to me. And then because the VIX is relatively low, I, I have two options. I can either sell a very far out of the money put option with a strike price of, let's say, like 24 or 2,500. Or if I wanted to sell a spread, I can be more aggressive with my puts and sell like a 2,800 by 2,700 put option. And if I make that trade, I can then simultaneously open a call option on something that I believe is oversold in order to balance out my deltas. Because right now, as of July 16, 2021, I am concerned that the risk is to is for a pullback. I believe that when we're at like close to, to all time highs, I do believe that you have to take into account where the market is currently trading and look at your velocity of risk, which in my opinion is to the downside. So as a result, I'm trying to stay relatively delta neutral or even have a short delta predisposition. Do you use any sort of indicators or any sort of moving averages or anything like that? Or since you say you're focusing on just a small group, do you just look for the price level? I, I don't really like the idea of support and resistance because like any price can go to anywhere at any time, just because you have decided this is support 
or you've decided this is resistance doesn't really mean anything. Um, and, and that's certainly subjective as well. My support could be your resistance or something like that. But do you use any sort of uh, uh, math-based, like uh, X day moving average or any sort of trend line that you've drawn across the screen? How, how, do you, how do you establish these levels you feel are overbought and oversold? Okay, that's a great question. I look at VIX and VVIX. So VIX is a measure of the volatility on the S&P 500. And then VVIX is a measure of the overall panic in the market. I, because I only have about 13 or 14 stocks on my watch list, I become very familiar with the pricing patterns and their trading history. Additionally, because these underlines are some of the largest companies in the world, there really is no informational edge where I don't have to go on seekingalpha.com and educate myself and think that I know something special. Now, regarding moving averages and trend lines, I don't use them. And I've done a lot of research into them and uh, I, used to, I used to use them. But the issue is that human beings have a propensity to try to find patterns when none of them exist. Like one of my professors at Cornell was Tom Gilovich and he did a study about like the hot hand theory where he thought that a basketball player who hit like multiple shots in a row was more likely to make the next one. But in reality, that's actually false. So humans try to find patterns. And I understand that because when you try to use patterns, it in a way like takes responsibility away from the individual who's making the decision. But for me personally, I, I feel that that just being comfortable with a small subset of stocks on your watch list is good enough where I just personally don't believe that if I use like trend lines or, or something like that, that it would add significant value for me. Do you, do you ever believe in the research from like uh, Michael Covell and his trend following books or on the, uh, the turtle traders, the, uh, the idea of, of the trend following methodology? Uh, when I, I used to look at, I think it was you know, like IBD, like investors.com yeah. and I write the books from, um, I've read those books about the market wizards. Now I last read them about 10 or 15 years ago. I, I don't put like that much stock in it primarily because I look at something that provides a high statistical probability and a high statistical edge and selling option premium. It's very simple. You can explain it to the average person without trying to make yourself, um, like, like being viewed on a pedestal or having secret knowledge. Really what it comes down to is that you're turning yourself into a casino, into an insurance company. These are the probabilities where the actual volatility is usually always less than the expected volatility. So the standard deviation expected probabilities are actually lower than the actual, but you have to make sure that you take care of your tail risk. And every trade that you make, you have to be scared that this could be the trade at least the significant losses. I actually really like that. Every trade you make, you have to be scared because, uh, and, and, and I know that that sounds like if, if somebody, if somebody listening hasn't really traded and they hear that, they're like, who are these jokers? What do you mean you have to be scared? But if you don't respect your risk, then you won't be trading for very long, right? It can literally be, especially if you're selling naked, it can be one trade that blows up your entire account. And I mean, it doesn't, doesn't take a lot to make one trade work against you like that. So, all right, I'm trying to conceptualize David's strategy here. And 
I'm going to use whole numbers here just, just to round things out. Imagine we've got stock. Uh, you mentioned NVIDIA. Imagine we've got NVIDIA and NVIDIA used to be at 550. Now it's down at 500. And you're saying, you know, this to you feels like the level that you want to sell some puts. You want to fade the move. What to you says that this won't continue to go from 500 down to 400? Because well, to me, that that's that's where I where I am fundamentally different. And that's okay. We all have our own styles. Um, if it's going down, to me, that says, hey, you know what? People don't want to be in it. I'm not going to get long. It's only once it's reached the bottom, maybe if it had gone from 500 to five, uh, 490, and at 490, it hit a bottom and it starts t- uh, t- peaking back up and maybe it gets back up to 500. That's when I, as a trader, am like, okay, now I'm ready to get back long because there is now interest again into it. I- I'm the last person who's going to step in front of a bus. I've done that enough times to where I don't do that anymore. So to you, David, when does it say, okay, this is the, the time to get in? Okay. So what you said is, is fantastic. And I think that that's one of the best ways to prevent outlier losses. So for example, during when there's a large volatility expansion event, what I like to do is wait for three consecutive updates because that to me said that says that there's some type of stabilization in the market. The issue is that during normal course and normal trading, there's a lot of noise where maybe there's like one or two major sell-offs the entire year. So if you wait for an event where NVIDIA um, like sells off to like 500 and then it goes back up. One, the implied volatility rank of NVIDIA at that time, you're going to be able to collect less premium. And additionally, you might end up missing the trade. Now, I understand that from your perspective, and I also agree with you, it's much better to miss a trade than to catch a falling knife. However, what I can say to that is catching falling knives, in my opinion, they don't happen that frequently because maybe there's two or three events the entire year where you have to be very concerned about catching a falling knife, whereas all the remaining 245 days during the year, there's just random noise where a stock might be slightly oversold or slightly overbought, and you're going to miss out on those opportunities. So for a company like NVIDIA, which is $500 billion, when if it pulls back, let's say it's at 550 and then you start watching it and you say, okay, like this is a little bit sold off. I'm going to wait for it to be at 520 and then I'm going to sell a put. If you are concerned about the overall market selling off and there'll be clues or NVIDIA continuing, then either you don't make the trade or you sell a put option that's further out of the money or you can just sell a very narrow spread, vertical credit spread. So instead of selling, if NVIDIA falls to 520, instead of selling like the 470, you could sell the 430. Or if you're concerned about an overall market sell-off, then you can sell the 450 and then you can buy the 440. And in that situation, you can actually profit because let's say you sell a very narrow vertical credit spread. And let's say the market has one of its huge sell-offs during that specific time. So there's usually about two or three major sell-offs a year. So let's say NVIDIA was trading at you know $200 higher, but now it's currently trading at 440. So it's $200 lower, lower or, or 33%. NVIDIA is a legitimate company, $500 billion. You're already at max loss for your spreads. What you could do is you can actually roll up the short in the money put option 
from about 450 to 520, you can then capture the difference between the intrinsic plus some extrinsic premium. You can roll the 450 to the 520. You can capture probably about $85, $90 of premium. And then once the market stabilizes, and remember, you're also protected by buying that long put option. So even if NVIDIA goes down to $100, it really doesn't matter because you're protected from that long put. Then as NVIDIA and the market stabilizes and it goes up, then you're essentially participating in the upside in a one-to-one -one ratio as if you're long stock. So there are numerous ways that you can actually participate in the upside and you can protect yourself where you can actually make money if the market does sell off. But the entire goal is to make sure that you don't get caught in, a in you know, holding a falling knife. And the reason for that, going back to what you said before about people thinking that we're crazy for having fear, the reason is that the losses hurt significantly more and there's much more pain associated with losses than the elation that you feel from the gains. So you should, because the pain is so much greater with losses, it's incumbent upon you to make sure that you reduce your losses and do everything possible to mitigate them. Not only that, but the, the pain to your trading account as well. I mean, if you lose 50% of your account, uh, you've got to make a hundred percent return to get back just to break even. Yeah. So yeah, the, the losses, I mean, so many times you've heard the, the trite phrase, you know, um, let your winners run and cut your losers short. I, I've thought that was the opposite when I first started selling options. I, I had learned from other places where, you know what, you just got to roll it forever and it'll eventually come back, David. That was not the case in my portfolio. It was the opposite. It was uh, the trend is down and you sold puts and it's going to go down forever at this point is what it felt like. But did you, did you run out of buying power or did you simply, was it mentally draining where you were like, oh my God, I just don't want to wake up and just see this position like continuing to lose money and it was very far in the money. So it was difficult to roll or was it more a buying power issue? Um, well, I think it had a lot to do with, let's say, let's say, for example, I sold it at 45 days out. It basically went down from the moment I sold it and, you know, it's a full loser. Right. And so now let's say if it's a $5 wide spread, a full loser, and I took in a dollar in credit, I've now got to have four full winners in a row. Yeah. Just to make up for that one loser. Mm -hmm. And so the math to me didn't make a lot of sense for this whole, I'm going to continue to roll it forever because it'll eventually come back. So that's just, that's what I've, I've gone through. And that that's for me, when, when it starts to work against me, I just take the loss and I move on. I, I don't roll anything ever. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. Interesting. And um, I noticed that after listening and binge watching a bunch of your podcasts. Oh, well, thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Where I remember, I, I think you were, um, with, there were a bunch of podcasts where you mentioned that you don't roll where if the position is challenged, then you close it out. And I don't necessarily disagree with that at all, because even though from, from my opinion, rolling has led to an increased probability of profit, I can tell you that if you look at everything in totality, I'm not certain that because of the few outlier losses, that rolling perpetuated, I'm not certain if it led to an overall increase in my PL. So I haven't done like any studies about that. It's just based upon like the tens of thousands of options trades that I've made. But when I heard that, my reaction was, okay, that's like really interesting. I see where you're coming from. 
And I don't necessarily agree or disagree. I guess if you can always roll it and improve your basis, um, then that might be worthwhile. But also you have to take into account the mental anguish where if a trade is challenged, then it's using up mental bandwidth and it's also like getting you stressed out. So that also has significant value where you can just simply close it out and move on to something that's a better opportunity. I think that's exactly it is, you know, when, if you're in a situation where the trade has tested you, not just your strikes, but also you mentally, there is another trade out there that's not going to do that. And it's going to work out a lot better for you in more ways than one. So yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I appreciate you watching as well. It means a lot to me. Um, so, you know, David, if, if somebody wanted to get started, like, let's say we had a blank slate, they've not learned all the bad habits yet. Where would they, where, what kind of advice would you give to them? Not financial advice, of course, but like in, in, in the, in the theory, right. Where would you like send them to go to learn, to, uh, get started. Right. Cause there's a lot of people out there that say a lot of different things and some of it may not be all that great. Yeah. I think that information overload is a real thing where as um, I try to keep things as simple as possible, I try to like wear the same thing every day. Like I have the same habits. So make sure that you like, you take care of your health that you have like a very set regimen, but also I don't think that inundating yourself with knowledge and being and lacking confidence in thinking that someone else has like, like the, the secret elixir or that you have to like learn everything possible is the best way to go. I can tell you that the more experience I get as a trader, the more simple I make my trading. And so having- You've probably like, heard me say that if you've watched enough episodes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, the longer I've been trading, the simpler it gets. It's very important to simplify your trading and, and really to simplify your life. And I think that if people have two or three sources of information that they trust, because even those two or three sources, they're not going to agree on everything, but you're going to be able to pick up ideas from those people that you can then adapt and adopt and make a decision whether you want to integrate that into your trading style. So it's kind of like if you have a style of clothes that you wear and then someone gives you like a jacket or a shirt and it doesn't really fit you, then you can try it on. You can look in the mirror and say, OK, that's not for me. So what I would recommend is people can go to beststockstrategy.com and enter in their email address and receive free training. I also recommend that they could watch some YouTube videos at youtube.com slash beststockstrategy. Your podcast is incredible. There's also some additional resources. You have like Tasty Trade, which I still listen to. Uh, I listen to their confirm and send, and I also listen to their market measures because you, you have to always educate yourself and take things into consideration because it helps improve your trading. There are a few other people that I like. I like um, In The Money on, on YouTube. Um, so really, you know, those mm. three or four resources, like myself, your podcast, Tasty Word, uh, rather Tasty Trade, and a few other people on YouTube. And then when you just trade and become very disciplined and patient and obsessively try to improve upon your mistakes, I think that after a while, you can really become incredibly gifted and talented and disciplined and successful as a trader. It's not Ooh. rocket science. I, I, I wish I could rewind live <laughs> because your, your quote right there, obsessively learn from your mistakes. That's, I may have to put that on the wall. I think that is a, uh, a very, very brilliant 
point. And from the, I, I've been, I mean, I tell you, I, I've been so fortunate to be able to interview the people that I have. And a lot of the time, that's one of the messages they preach. And that's the difference between somebody who does this as a hobby and somebody who does this for money, you know, is like, Hey, you know what you, and you've got to track your trades, right? I'm sure you track your trades obsessively. If you don't look at what you've done, you can't improve upon it for the next time. And even if it was a great trade, there may have been something you could have done. Oh, maybe I could have done this or that. Maybe I could have sold five deltas higher or lower, whatever, but obsessively go over your mistakes and not to the point to drive you neurotic, right? But to the point of every, every trade you make is a lesson in how to improve upon the next trade. That's brilliant. And, and totally agree with that for sure. I I think it's also important to take absolute and full responsibility for your trades and for your behavior, because trades are relatively binary in nature. It's either a good trade where you made money on it. But I, I guess that's not exactly true because you can end up having a trade that's challenged that causes you a lot of stress. And then that wouldn't be a good trade. But for the most part, trading is relatively binary. And you have to make sure that you judge yourself and take a step back and look at it from a third party perspective and that you're fair with yourself. A few days ago, I rolled a PayPal call by rolling up a put option. So I was short a 315 call on PayPal and PayPal hit 307. So I rolled it up from 315 to 320. And I financed that by rolling up the short put option. I was short a a strangle, a 315 and a 240 put on PayPal. So I wanted some incremental safety net on the 315 call. So I rolled it up from 315 to 320. And then in order to finance that, I rolled up the short put from 240 to 265. Immediately after I made that trade, and I think I got like two cents credit, so it was essentially a wash. PayPal then started selling off and currently it's trading at about 295. So in my trade alerts, I harped on that and I said, yeah, that was a stupid trade. That was dumb. I should have been more patient. I should have waited. And many people might have been surprised at that. But the reality is that I'm doing that for myself. Because if I'm placed in a similar situation, by, play, by taking accountability and taking responsibility for making a stupid trade that I was kind of 50-50 on, when I, even before I made that trade, I was like, I'm not really sure if this trade is necessary. But I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And oftentimes people feel people feel compelled to take action and they think that any action is better than no action but that's not true the more experience you have the more you're going to realize that taking good action and making good trades is better than making an okay trade or a 50-50 trade and by me calling myself out and taking responsibility for that PayPal role it is going to decrease the likelihood that I'll make that type of trade in the future. And yes, there's a very high probability that that roll that I made is still going to be profitable because rolling it from 240 to 265 when PayPal is trading at 295, okay, you still have $30 of safety net. But you always want to do everything possible to reduce the probability of you incurring stress and that trade getting challenged. And in my opinion, trading an extra $20 on the put side from $5 on the call side was not a good, was, it wasn't something that I should have done. And hopefully I can avoid that in the future. You know, I think it's, 
it's hard pressed to find people in our space who are open and who are honest because there's so many people out there and you know who I'm talking about where you'll see their ad. It says, uh, you know, win 90% of the time, come follow me. No more breakout pullback BS strategy. I, I always win everything all the time. Or, or turn, turn 5,000. I mean, look, you, when you sell option premium, it's not statistically, it's very possible to win 95% plus that like you can sell three standard deviations out. And then even mathematically, like that's not the issue. I think the, the issue is that the greater the win rate that you have, the smaller your expectation of profit needs to be. Yes. So when I see people who it's not necessarily the win rate that I'm questioning It's when you say that you win like a hundred percent of your trades and you turn $5,000 into 5 million. Like that's just not, that's just, it's not feasible. The math doesn't compute. Right. You know, I, I can't stand when I see these, these young people who are probably 18, 19, 20, who are like, Oh, I had a $400,000 day today. And I'm like, how the hell did you get even 400,000 to trade with bro? You don't have any life experience unless I mean, there are hedge fund kids and I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of that. I wish I could be a hedge fund kid. Let me tell you. Um, but yeah, it, when I see that kind of stuff, it, it just frustrates me, right? Because, you know, random guy off the street who sees this ad or sees this video or whatever thinks, oh, I could make $400,000 today. But in order to do that, you have to start with a six-figure account. I mean, maybe he started with 100000 Maybe he started with a million and he made $400,000 back today because he had, you know, had some pretty shitty trades to start with. So we don't ever know the context of that, but I, yeah, there's so many fake gurus out there. And especially in our space, the, the predatory, predatory nature of it, it's just so, so easy to take advantage of. And people think, cause we live in like the Instagram world where everyone's editing their photos. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where people are concerned about admitting their failures and they're, they're scared about like taking absolute responsibility. But the reality is that 70 to 80% of the people in America are self-destructive. They're either like overweight or they have like an alcohol or drug problem, addicted to opioids. They eat poorly. Their sleep is not very good. And um, the, the, the image that people portray on Instagram and Facebook, et cetera, it, in, it intentionally like makes people less likely to accept responsibility. And it also leads towards building a culture of fake gurus, where in my opinion, I think that the fake gurus, that many of them are not successful traders, instead that the product that they're selling is actually fraud and fraudulent. But many people are not going to know that. And instead that they're going to be taken in and smitten by promises of turning $5,000 into 5 million because they want free money. But the reality is that trading the way that, that I trade and a way that a lot of successful traders trade is that you have to hit singles while also trying to reduce your losses. And you have to always work on your craft and make sure that you improve and ignore all of the ancillary information out there that's not going to help you because it's just the distraction. Oh yeah, for sure. I tell people, and, and a lot of this came from um, reading a lot of books as well as talking to traders on the podcast, my God, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to do this. But the fact that, you know, price matters above everything. I don't care what you released last week. If the price is not going up, 
that's all I need to know, right? Now it's a little bit different whenever you're just selling premium, right? You're not worried so much about the Delta, uh, but my style of trading, I, I want the deltas. I want the deltas working for me. So that's, uh, yeah, man, you, you've, you've dropped a lot of knowledge bombs here. <laughs> so, so David, let's make sure everybody checks, checks out all of your products, right? We're talking about beststockstrategy.com, best stock strategy on YouTube, and as well as the wealth and health podcast with David Jaffe. David, I feel that we've covered a lot today. I think you and I could actually go a lot longer um, on this, uh, this area. Maybe, maybe have a little bit more focused where we say, okay, we're going to talk about this topic for a while and that topic for a while. Because, uh, you know, w- whenever I have guests on the show, I kind of just, you know, leave the door open. As, as I was telling you before the show, leave the door open and just see where it goes. Uh, and, and we could definitely go for a lot longer. Um, and, you know, look forward to having you back on in the future, man. This, this has been great. What, what parting words of wisdom would you want to give to the audience out there? I think it would be just always make sure that you constantly improve yourself and that you try to reduce distractions. But I think that the most important thing is when you're trading, especially when you're selling premium, watch your size. And even if you win not nine straight trades or 20 straight trades, you have to make sure that you always fear the next trade and that you make sure that you don't trade too large because when you are selling premium, you want to make sure that you leave anywhere from 40 to 50% of your account as safety net so that in the worst case scenario, if there's a large volatility expansion event, then you can roll that position and you're not going to get forced into closing the position because you're not going to run out of buying power. So I think just watching your size and targeting a reasonable return of about 3% a month is ideal. If any of your viewers want to follow my trades, then I do offer a seven-day trial. It's only $19, and I work really hard to answer emails and exceed expectations so they can join the trade alerts. I send the alerts via WhatsApp. It's only $19 for seven days, and I can send you that link as well. And um, I must say that I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and the resource that you're providing to people is incredible. And the gratitude that you show as well for being able to speak to people. I remember that you mentioned in different podcasts, you're like, and even in this podcast, you say, oh, I'm so lucky because I have this platform and it's allowed me to like have regular conversations that I would love to have with people. But the difference is that you're just recording it and it helps everyone. It helps you. It helps me. It helps your viewers. It's just an incredible resource. And everyone's very fortunate to, to have found you and that you put in the hard work to start this off, because I know that anytime you launch a business, the first like six months or so, it's a lot of manual labor and it's a lot of doubt. And it's a lot of small stuff that you have to spend a lot of time figuring out. And um, yeah, just kudos to you for putting everything together. Well, I appreciate that a lot, David. This has uh, definitely been a labor of love. I mean, we've got over, I think we're pushing 550 episodes now. Uh, so yeah. Uh, entirely too much of uh, my face on the internet. (laughs) Well, David, I really appreciate your time. I want to make sure everybody heads over to beststockstrategy.com to learn more from David and uh, the service that he puts together. And really, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you guys for tuning in to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you in the next episode. 
Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? Now, if you like that, that's only a taste, only a sample of what you're gonna find in the full AI stock trading system. And I really highly encourage you to go and check this out. Obviously, you are interested in learning and how to trade, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take and download my entire trading system that I use day in and day out onto you. <laughs> and the only way I'm gonna be able to do that is over at the AIStockTradingSystem.com. You're gonna get phase one, two, and three, several bonuses, and on top of that, I'm going to walk you through over a dozen trades that I put on inside of my account, holding your hand and showing you exactly how I got in, how I got out, how I use the artificial intelligence data, and how this could work inside of your own trading portfolio on a daily basis. So make sure you head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com to learn more and to get started and to download my decade plus worth of trading experience into your hands so you can start using the AI Stock Trading System today, the five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10MinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.